It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And you're back in San Diego? Back in San Diego. What the heck, man? You guys never quit. Just been on a burner. Can you no hear me? Kidding. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I can't hear you. Okay, that's fine. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect you to be one for the club. The uh, which club? Oh, I know. I'm not one for the club. That was my first club experience in I don't know how long. What was it like an actual club with like like pumping music, dance party? Yes, and the hot club, the hot night and the hot club in LA. Like what club is it? It's Thursday night at Bar Lee in uh at the Thompson Hotel in Hollywood is the place to be, apparently. That's what took one. you there? Uh it was a friend's birthday party actually she is a i think the creative director at flaunt magazine which have you ever looked at flaunt no never i don't even know what flaunt is flaunt is uh the west coast version of i suppose vogue and vanity fair combined it is like the uh primary principal fashion publication very got it but it was her birthday, uh, and yeah, had dinner at Yamashiro, which, have you ever been to Yamashiro? Nope. It was, it was a night of first for me. Yamashiro in Hollywood is like a Japanese restaurant started in, I don't know, 1918 or something. Wow. It's, it's ridiculous 
hill. I mean, it's a ridiculous piece of property. And then straight to the club. Wow. So Yamashiro, it's been there for that long or this is yeah. a new location? No, it's been there for that long, Yamashiro. For, Crazy. For dinner first and then, yeah, off to the club. For, but it was wild. I'll tell you, wild daily scales. Tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been to the It Night for the It Club in forever. Uh, and so the average age is probably, I don't know, 20 posing as 22 yeah like fake id but like pure aspiring models and actors and actresses like just jam-packed into a rooftop hotel bar like old, did you ever do that no oh you never did your sky bar or any of the hot la club when it was happening like in the not really it was happening oh not really no it's totally worth a uh, go it's totally worth doing it at some point i'm too old now you're way too old but it's go to barley b-a-r space l-i-s uh on thursday night and just observe what the future beholds okay um can you order a negroni there what's your what do you drink while you're in there i mean so the the like vodka soda the bar though at one of these places they had like Four of the most beautiful bartenders in the world, of course, uh, with a, like, the I mean, the pack is like 20 deep in terms of line ahead of the bar, right? right? But then I was also with Matthew Bedard, who happens to be the editor-in-chief of Flaunt. Watching somebody who does this regularly cut through that kind of scene so seamlessly, like, it's the sort of thing where you look at the bar and you think, I'm not going to get a drink because who's ever going to sort through that? Uh, but then you're with somebody who's professionally does that for their living and watching somebody, we, I mean, it's like, it would be like paddling out with uh, Joel Parkinson at Snapper where, right. or with, you know, whoever, Jamie O'Brien at Pipeline, where you think this is an impossible thing na to navigate but then you draft off someone who knows that thing. And then all of a sudden there you are at the front of the bar ordering your drinks, but kept it easy with just vodka soda. And what does a vodka soda cost? Uh, I kept just grabbing them. And so I think free. <laughs> like it's um, such, a, such a chaotic scene that there's no like, yeah, with old Bedard up there, he's such an expert at this game where they would say only card or Apple Pay. And so he would say, oh, I'll do Apple Pay. And then he would sit and flip through his photos on his phone while the mob behind just got more and more furious until they're just like, everybody get out of here. You guys move on with your drinks and on to the next one. Bad business. Yeah. I mean, Cause... when you become too popular, it's a, it's the, it may be a problem with our podcast coming up. You realize when you get too popular, things get difficult. Laird, Laird Hamilton starts trying to rip off your athletic greens success by integrating a green drink into Laird's superfood. Uh, that is like stinking blasphemy right there. It's the truth. This actually just dropped a day or two ago. We shouldn't even promote it for him, but I'm so miffed. I mean, his stock obviously is tanking. And so he's just trying to recoup what little salvage, what little bit of value he can. And he heard us hyping athletic greens all this time and our 
listeners benefiting from it. And so he's like, I got to get into that, into that green game. Forget this turmeric stuff. It stains everything. Got to get into that green game. Um, let's uh, recap real quick. A bunch of listeners who live out of town asked me if we would be publishing your book, our book chat from Warwick's in La Jolla. And guess what? We have good news for them. What are we going to do, David Lee Scales? Let's publish it at the end of today's episode. That's such a great idea. It's a gift. I can't believe we have it. Yeah, well, thanks to your wife, Cersei, for running production for us. Why were we at the book reading? What were you doing there? Give people the spiel for those who don't already know. So I wrote a book, uh, my fourth book, that happens. Blessed Are the Bank Robbers came out, I think, three days ago now. Uh, the reading was night after it came out, so March 16th. David Lee Scales himself came down to coordinate the event, to MC uh, book reading. It wasn't a reading. Book readings are awful, I'll tell you. Like, who wants to hear anyone read a book? And so figured out that on time number four, nobody wants that. So you and I did a fun question answer, I feel. And then the funner questions, not that yours were not fun, but came from our beautiful audience. It was fun. It was a great night, I thought. Yeah. I mean, what's not to love? Well, I don't know. I've not been to one of those before, but um, from Warwick's standpoint, I feel like it was a success. It was fully crowded. Everybody bought books and uh, seemed to have a good time. It was good energy. Will you attend book readings from here on out? Next time I'm in La, next time I'm in La Jolla, I will absolutely um, make it a point to check Warwick's calendar and try to make it by just because I appreciate what they do for the community. They've been there since 1892. It is the oldest family-run bookstore in America. And so, yeah, you got to support it. Bringing the people together at that Warwick's. I love it. Um, okay, so moving on, we're going to do kind of an abbreviated show because we already did one this week. We did a book reading. It's Friday afternoon at 4.20 right now. Or so thanks to my, we were supposed to be on this morning. But you were too hungover from last night's festivities. I mean, that's, I didn't, I totally forgot that you go to, I wasn't even hungover. It's just the going to a club till 2 a.m. I forgot that it taxes you. You want to know what's embarrassing is the book reading night. Lauren and I stayed up till 11, which is two hours longer than we stayed up for in months. We're still recovering from it. Yeah. Just devastated. Yeah. And like, so we got home yesterday, midday, and I was just like, could not function. Yeah. And she was trying to work. And I was like, can you watch the baby and work so I could just take a nap for 30 minutes? She's like, I want a nap too. I'm like, well, I don't know. What, like we're out of hands. We need help. Yeah, it sucks. Anyways, let's catch up on surf real quick. Um, there are a number of things that I do want to catch up before we go to the Warwick's talk. Um, the Devin or yeah, you spoke with Devin Howard off the record. Um, I presume you guys discussed the Joel Tudor situation. He was suspended last week. What's the hot goss from Devin? Well, so the thing, thing with Devin is, he, I mean, here's the whole thing, right? Is they have a longboard world tour ostensibly uh, as part of the World Surf League offering. Uh, rumor was the thing was going to get cut from three events to one. 
uh, Joel Tudor got mad and lashed out. And then it all turned into a giant problem where he was then, Joel Tudor, was then suspended, which I found out in the meantime, uh, he's like the first, I think, champion of any sport to be suspended from that sport. The first, the first reigning champion to be suspended in the history of sport. Isn't that it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Like, um, I always think of the UFC, John Jones got suspended for drug, or I guess maybe that was just a violation. But was he, he was not reigning champion when that happened. He wasn't? No, he wasn't the belt holder when that happened. Okay. He got suspended, uh, you know, and had, I'm sure had a title shot in him or whatever, but wasn't the current belt holder. So fascinating. First time in professional sporting history that a champion has been suspended while, while being champion. Fascinating. Yeah. So that makes, I feel that gives more texture to the whole thing. It does. Well, again, it reminds me, I feel like I said it last week, but ESPN should be writing about this. And the fact that they aren't is just because they're ignorant to it. And the WSL is the one who should actually be feeding ESPN these stories. I mean, um, how it's, would, so, how- it's so ripe. And there's so much conversation to have about it. Even if the WSL is going to catch a little bit of flack, there's still, it's worth the larger discussion. Worth the larger discussion and worth your common person maybe to think, oh, wait, is surfing interesting? Is, is there something happening there? If people are being suspended, if champions are being suspended, right, should I perhaps pay attention? Who is this guy? He looks interesting. He sounds yeah. interesting. Now that I know a story, I'm going to follow him on Instagram. Now they're invested in longboarding. It's win, 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 win across the board, which again, I mean, don't get me started at the dereliction of duty in the World yeah. Surfing offices. But back to Devin. So Devin is ostensibly the uh, commissioner of the of the longboard tour, right? I feel that uh, it was Jesse Miley Dyer, the, of course, I mean, I think her title is Senior Vice President of Tours and something. Yeah. Uh, she ostensibly runs the longboarding tour too, but she was the one who who sent the letter to, uh, to Joel, which stated earlier, or I guess in response to Joel's, um, when, he, when Joel first started agitating, about, you know, her cutting from three to one, but his big beef was equality. And aren't you supposed to be the league of equality? Like this is where, this is where the women are doing better and better. Uh, You know, there's more, you're leaning heavily into women's longboarding in your own promotion. And now you're gonna, you know, even though you talk about equality, you're gonna cut this one thing, which actually has more opportunity for equality, which, you know, again, uh, what's her name? Who won the um old mal the uh whatever oh yeah i forget her name now too yeah but a woman just just won a longboard event in a field of men right like where which we've talked about it with devin forever where this really is if we're going to be equal longboarding is the place to start and so i totally understand joel's frustration uh with what what had happened i totally understand devin's being a proponent and you know, I mean, carrying the water for longboarding, as it were, like his wanting this thing to succeed, his not wanting to it to get cut down to nothing, right? Uh, but then, yeah, old Joel gets cut for, I guess, conduct detrimental to the World Surf League, and yeah, no talk about anything else. So, oh yeah, 
I think Devin feels caught really between a rock and a hard place of, I totally understand what Joel was saying. Maybe he was saying it in a way that was too agitating. Uh, understand maybe the World Surf League being agitated, but also what Joel is saying is right. Devin being caught in the middle. And what do you do? I don't, I can't speak for Devin, but I can't imagine that Devin's even in the middle. I think Devin's on Joel's side. I mean, Devin and Joel, first of all, they've grown up together. He wants more more events on tour. He wants equal pay for the male longboarders. Um, I don't know that he would go to bat against his employers for Joel, especially because Joel does say such sensational things. But the general ethos of what Joel is saying or the general idea of what Joel is saying, Devin certainly has to be behind. I mean, for sure. And I think the problem is the WCL is not necessarily his employer, right? Like I think Devin does the, or heads up the longboard side of the tour really out of, out of charity, out of the goodness of his own heart. He's not getting rich. Uh, that's not his main gig, right? He is. But he's getting a paycheck from him for sure. So they are his employer, not his main employer, but he's still, I mean, really how, how much do you think he's getting paid from them? I, dude, I have no idea. Zero idea. I'm going to say he's getting paid. So such a negligible amount. Uh, his, his horse in the game is actually making this better because he actually cares about longboarding and cares to the point of doing charity work for it. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm I agree play. with you. I, I agree with you that that's, he's doing it for that reason. But once you are accepting the paycheck, you do have to kind of mind your P's and Q's for your employer. Well, and I think, I think Devin has, has a different personality, of course, than Joel, right? Joel is uh, bombastic and is, that serves Joel. That works for Joel. That's not yeah. Devin's brand. Uh, and of, of course, in corporate structures, that's not where change usually comes from, like substantial change. And so Devin probably thinking, shoot, Joel's, saying all the right things and saying them in a semi-wrong way has got to put hard for him. And then realizing probably can't speak for him, but that the world surf league is doing actually totally wrong by longboarders and longboarding uh, and does need to actually, I mean, either if you want to own longboarding, if you're the WSL, then do it right. Do a tour. If not, cut it loose, sell that part of totally. your business to somebody else. Like totally. say, hey, Joel, or for sure, there, there has been, uh, I can't remember the guy who did the, what was the tour called? Do you remember what it was called? The, oh, it's not Axiom. It was had some name like that. The Longboard Tour. Yeah, well, just like two or three years ago, right? Exactly, that one. I totally forget what that was called. So, but there's people who are willing or wanting probably to do that. Uh, and if you're the World Surf League, you could help empower that as sort of your, you know, like this is our gift to surfing. We know that we don't have the capacity right now. We are focused solely on shortboarding. Uh, we think that we wanna do big wave surfing and longboarding too as the World Surf League, but we clearly have shown we don't have the capacity to do it. They've butchered big wave surfing. Uh, right. They have now, butchered longboarding so fine your thing is high performance shortboarding it's no no shame in admitting that but then let the other people go let stinking a paul tablib or a you know the people who know the big wave stuff run a big wave tour 
let the people who know longboarding do that. And if they fail, they fail, but just cut everybody free. Don't take any ownership of that unless you're actually going to do the work, which WSL not doing the work and then also being sensitive about the work they're not doing. Like, I don't know what Devin thinks. I think Joel is 99.9% right in his thing. Yeah, like, I do too. He's got uh, nothing to lose here. He is only for the longboarders. He's only trying to make longboarding better. And I don't know what the World Surf League is trying to do. It seems like they're trying to make longboarding not annoying to them, which yeah. that doesn't serve longboarding or, or longboarders. Agreed. So in your conversation with Devin, did you get any insights into how long Joel's suspended for and or if the WSL is going to be complying with his uh, request to add back multiple events rather than just one? No idea how long Joel is suspended for, but I do believe that there is a lot more discussion now about around, uh, you know, adding more events, like not cutting it down to one, but, you know, at least having, at least having three, like is not that many. And again, I mean, Joel's beef was thinking, don't get extra permits. Don't fine. Yeah. He came up with a solution for him. He literally came up with a solution. Just, stick us on you have these windows you have windows for days 10 days usually at sites that you run three or four of right there's multiple days yeah. and there's multiple days you don't run because the waves are not good enough for high performance shortboarding well guess what those waves generally are good enough for longboarding called the beauty of longboarding right and so totally run us at bells run us at trestles problem solved and I don't understand how that's not just a, unless you have your panties so in a bunch about what the way Joel approached this, I don't know how you don't look at that and think he's got a point. Like, let's just throw him in there. It doesn't cost us any more money for the permit. Uh, it'll cost us whatever for the prize money for longboarding, which nobody's expecting. I don't even think, I think Joel was asking for that, but I don't think he was really expecting yet for them to be paid equal to uh, the C, like shortboard CT tour, right? Like, no, I don't think he's thinking our, our, I mean, that's the problem with Joel's messaging, I think, is Joel has poor messaging. His heart is right, his messaging is poor because they could say, okay, great, we'll give you more events. We'll bump your pay by this, which is not that much. I can't imagine that they couldn't go find a sponsor to pay for that with longboarding being as popular as it, as it is. Well, the only reason he even referenced getting a pay increase was because they are the ones who beat the drum of the equality. Sure. So I don't, also, I don't think that he would have said it before, but I, I mean, from his standpoint, there's uh, a guy who used to work for Oprah who comes in. So Joel just, I think, looks at, Eric Logan as an outsider, the management team as outsiders. They come in and they start saying things that are going to look good in the press. We're all about equality. And Joel's on the ground level. He's the guy winning the titles. He's the guy actually who's been here forever. He's seen all the regimes come and go. He goes, you guys are just banging a drum. All you're doing is virtue signaling. Yeah, you made the shortboard women's prize money the same. But that's the only equality. I mean, now you're running events at the same, you're running the events at the same spots, but you're not running in the same conditions. You're not, there's all this other part that isn't equal. So I'm just going to show you 
how you're not actually following through. You want to benefit from the public, uh, you know, messaging of equality. But hey, for the record, you guys aren't being equal in 99% of the ways. If you yep. want to be, go ahead and pay us. I think that's what Joel's perspective is. Well, and I think more, even moreover, I think the the bang of the drum for equality on the women's side. Yes, the women's top. How many are there? How? What's the number of seventeen? Seventeen. So the women's top seventeen, yes, have equal pay with the men, right? And do e there's the men also have a giant QS system and a lot more on the. I mean, there's tons more money getting poured in to the men's side. So the, the idea of equality is just a mirage to begin with. Totally. But then also, that's the, on the shortboard side. The longboard side, the women can actually be stars and are who the World Surf League leans into for their own advertising. Like, yes. you throw up a- Yeah, well, that's the, that's the main point. And there's a woman longboarding because that's what sells. Totally. Yeah, and that was Joel's kind of main- tenet of his argument i think and um, i think i think joel delivers it again he ain't no he's a stinking longboarder you know he's a joel's no polemicist he's no he's not putting together a coherent argument which i think yeah. probably would frustrate devon where devon looks at him and says you're ah you're saying yeah. the right thing and you're saying it in the wrong way and now you're sinking the whole ship by just saying it in the wrong way, knowing how sensitive these damn people are in Santa Monica. Right. Sensitive. Um, sensitive. Well, Why in other... Sensitivity? I, I've uh, suspect, maybe heard rumors that there's a potential lawsuit that Joel uh, could be compiling and building. Um, I don't know if it would be wrongful termination. Oh, this is would a be the right... Where'd you hear this? Yeah. A good source? What's that? This is a good source. Uh, yeah, I'd say it's decent. We could talk about it off air, um, but that's an interesting concept because uh, he disappeared everything. All of this conversation, he disappeared off of his Instagram account, which he's not the kind of guy who does that, um, or he's not the kind of guy who the WSL bullies him into doing that. Sure. So my thought is that he's got a bigger play in mind and that's actually, a, there's a reason that he's doing it on his own. And uh, I think the timing of his suspension is suspicious because he did all that and the WSL asked him to take it down and he didn't. And in fact, he published the WSL's asking cool. of him to take it down. Yeah. But it was when he made the inference about Jesse Miley Dyer's relationship, when it got personal is when they then suspend it. Yep. And there's actually no law, or as, as far as I know, there's no rule in the WSL's rule book that says he's not allowed to talk about the commissioner's personal life. I mean, there's so, got to be some kind of vague rule about dis, I mean, what did he get to spend? It's like disparagement or whatever, right? Yeah, but that was uh, to do with what he was saying about the World Surf League, not about which the commissioner. Wasn't, which wasn't true. I mean, or-, or Exactly. They didn't suspend him. So that- so that is already arguable, whether or not he even disparaged the World Surf League. That would be part of his argument, is that he was terminated, you know, uh, unfairly. But the reality is, if you look at the timeline, they suspended him because he took it. He got personal. He got personal. I think their panties got in a bunch. And then they're like, this has gone too far. We need to put a stop to this. Suspend. But it's like, dude, well, there's no rule against him doing that. He has a he has a actual 
case at that point, you know? I mean, I just don't understand how you're not surf literate enough if you're the World Surf League to know Joel Tudor, know his personality, know what he's doing, read through the line or read between the lines, I suppose, understand that, okay, he's mad that we're cutting the tour down. Let's actually get in a room with him and talk and figure out how to assuage whatever, right? There could have been a very easy way forward, I feel. Getting ego or feelings involved on their side as a corporation seems like asininely insane. Yeah. The corporation should not have feelings, full stop. No. The corporation, the people that work for the corporation should only be thinking about how to advance the corporation's business. Yeah. And I think it's very clear that that did not happen here and that feelings were hurt. And then it's retribution at that point, Precisely. which is bad for business. And the upper management needs to assess that because if you're up, if your management team is getting their feelings hurt and then acting in ways that don't move the ball forward for the business. And we've already defined those ways, feeding these stories to ESPN, our current world champion is calling us out about equality that should be fed to the e to ESPN first, way before the suspension. Um, leaning into all of that was the right move if your feelings aren't in the game. If your feelings are in the game, then you act punitively, and that's what's happened here. I mean, it's silly. They're, they're, the World Surf League as a whole is acting like Kelly Slater blocking people on Instagram. Well, funny you should bring that up. Um, we do have somebody who's going to be making those shirts for us. So I can't believe I it. I'm so I need to hit them up. Uh, Oregon I'll, Surf I'll, Shop, no less. Oh, do you have another one? Well, another what? I have one too. One what? A surf shop in Oregon. Do they hit you up too? No. Oh, did uh, your bro hit you up? Well, no. Uh, our buddy, he's in South Carolina, North Carolina. Sorry, okay. Carolina Surf Company. Um, they have a retail shop there and they, they print stuff. And so he reached out and he said he could do one-offs for us. No problem. Oh, I got another one from an Oregon surf shop. It's Zugla. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were saying they got blocked by him. No, no. Like it's beautiful. I love this, that this is actually going to happen. Oh yeah. Uh, this is one of the things that we put out that is actually going to happen. So Hannah in Australia um, who left our favorite listener line call ever last week. Make sure, Hannah, make sure you DM Chaz and give him your size and then I'll get a shirt printed for you. She's in. She's cool. She'll get the first one. Uh, I, need to, oh, I, have a, I have a good, I have a good design too. Oh, perfect. Cause that was going to be another. I have a, another I have thing. a front design and then I feel that on the back, we, I think if we can't, if we reference Kelly Slater's name, we will get a cease and desist. Uh, and so I think it's going to just read the world's greatest surfer block me on Instagram. Who even cares? We're not selling the shirts. They're not going to be posted for sale anywhere. These are like literally eight people who will get these. It's perfect. I'm not worried guess, about getting suppose, a cease and desist. I suppose I can't, I can't wait to get that cease and desist. Should we just say Kelly Slater blocked me on Instagram? Yeah. Or just, yeah, I think Kelly Slater blocked me on Instagram. And then also, if we do get a cease and desist, we'll make new shirts that are, I got a cease and desist. I got a cease and desist because Kelly Slater blocked me. <laughs> um, but, but no, oh, hey, listen, listen to this one. This is from another listener. He said, um, hey, D.S. and Chaz, after recently listening about discuss, to discussions about Kelly 
blocking people on Instagram, it popped in my head. I haven't seen much from Kelly lately on Instagram. So maybe I've been blocked as well. Nope, unfortunately, I'm not on the GOAT's radar, but still have full, I still have full access. But then I thought as well, I haven't seen any posts from Stab Magazine either. So I searched for Stab, nothing. Hang on, I switch my login to a business account that I use and boom, there's Stab. Uh, back to my personal login, nothing. Yes, I finally made it. Ashton has blocked me. It's not as exciting as Kelly blocking me, but I'll take it. Just like Stab takes my premium subscription money every month. Amazing. So a premium subscriber is blocked by Stab. He is indeed. Oh, um, this is hot news. Who, who is this? Let's, let's give his at least handle a proper shout out. This is a bravo for me. Shouldn't I ask him before I shout him out? Uh, yes, but I'll give him, I'll give whoever you are, good sir or madame, bravo and bravo. So I asked this listener, I go, incredible. Uh, what did you do to them that warranted a block? He goes, I have no idea. I'm used to, um, I used to be a vocal in my opinion about the WSL and how they were ruining the tour, but now I don't really care anymore. I also may have expressed my disdain for Ashton and his try hard voice that he puts on whenever he presents stab content. Oh, actually, wait a second. That must've been what did it. That's amazing. I mean, this is this bravo to you, good sir, or good madam. And thank you for your service. Seriously, I thought that was pretty funny. The fact that he could leave a comment um, criticizing Ashton and his try hard voice and then get blocked by them is incredible. I mean, the fact that they're blocking anyone is is incredible. I mean, it's back to the back to the corporation, whatever, having feelings. I mean, Beach Grit, not that we're a corporation, has never once blocked anyone. We've only been deleted from Instagram and yeah. spring forth like phoenixes from the birdness, I suppose, would be the analogy. Uh, but why, who cares? Like hammer all day, all day, every day, but whatever. I've never blocked anyone personally. Like, oh, I might've, no, never anyone personally. People do care though. People get their I feelings mean, I guess, hurt. I guess, but don't have feelings. Well, or certainly not if you're uh, representing the company and it's the company's account. If you are being a public, if you're a public figure and or have a public brand, you don't you're not allowed to have feelings i agree like um i suppose there's certain lines but aside like death threats or whatnot would be yeah. deranged stuff but not criticizing vocal texture as you right try hard so in other uh i don't know if this is legal news but certainly interesting um matt banting took to Instagram to lash out against a former sponsor for not paying him. Do you want to kind of give us the, the update on this story or give us the ins and outs? Yeah. So Matt Banting, uh, who was at one time, it's funny when I saw his name, I was like, these uh, kind of up and coming CT rookie, the ones who are going to be the one, right? Was Matt yeah. Banting one of those? Hell yes. I had yeah. all my money on Matt Banting eight years ago. And all he's done is get injured and disappoint me. Over exactly. And over. Exactly. So, but he was one of those ones. So they make like, of course, World Surf League or whoever, ASP before it, I suppose. Uh, 
makes name on okay there's this you know this new crop coming up rarely but rarely do the like i'll say jack robinson john john florence dane reynolds i mean we could list and count on one hand probably the future of surfing who actually succeeded in reaching expectation right it's it is uh i'd say one out of every eight to 10 that they, we actually claim and anticipate. Yeah. I'd say less than that. I'd say one in 20. Maybe. I mean, like Griffin Colapinto, I feel is still on the bubble there. Right. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he I just mean, won an event. So you got to give him, I'll give him, I'll he, give him that. He's event, crossed but, over. Mm, you got to have like, e, like Ethan Ewing, Ethan Ewing, Jack Freestone. They're still behind the bubble. Connor O'Leary. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, hundreds behind the bubble, yeah, uh, very, very few burst through Matt Banting very clearly did not burst through, but as a professional surfer sponsored, took to Instagram not that long ago. And with a complaint about a sponsor who, uh, promised him a two year or signed to your contract, Banting got hurt, said, Hey, I'm gonna be the cool guy here. Don't pay me while I'm hurt. I get it. And they said, very cool. We will pick up payment and pay you your full 24 months uh, after you're back in the saddle. Well, come to find out, he's back in the saddle and they cut payment. Uh, the sponsor was unnamed. I think there is, I thought it was Quicksilver at first, but then realized that Quicksilver probably hasn't sponsored him in forever, right? Correct. And so there was a rumor that it might be Buell wetsuits, uh, but I don't know that that's confirmed. But anyway, whoever this sponsor was, uh, yeah, cut him unceremoniously which married to an agent as I am. Yep. I know that it would be your instinct to be a good guy and stop payment. You just don't do that. You just like, you let her, uh, sorry, you sign. I mean, that's what the con the contract was to protect you yeah. uh, and them. But once you sort of breach the contract, which he did essentially, then, you know, that, that was a mistake I feel, which is, Probably if you're an up and coming pro who's never going to make it, get good management to at least read your contracts. So you're saying that Cersei's opinion on this would be that Matt Banting broke the contract when he said, don't send me payment. No, but I think I didn't actually talk to her about this, but I think she would say uh, if it was listening over her shoulder enough, what she would do is if she had a client that got hurt and felt bad about collecting payment, which this has never happened. She's had clients hurt all the time. She was hurt, right? Like this is how she got her start in the game. Uh, I don't know if you knew this. Did she talk about this in the podcast? I don't think so. So she got her start. She was sponsored by Ride Snowboards uh, and blew out her knee on a Ride Snowboard photo shoot. Uh, Ride Snowboards then cut her contract because she blew out her knee while she was on their shoot. And so she said, screw that. Like that is totally wrong. Went to a lawyer lawyer said i'm going to take this on except for you do all the work so you figure out everything and i'll take it on i'll like but you're doing all the work so she did hmm. she won the case against ride uh and then realized in that though that athletes are you know extreme sports athletes at least are so woefully taken advantage of uh and don't understand contractual stuff and, you know, or, or just rolled over and taken advantage of. So that's what made her be an agent was that experience. Fascinating. Um, so she would think about banting. You got hurt surfing for this company. 
like that's you know they were paying you to do that you got hurt doing that like that's the deal right and yeah. if, if we want to talk to them about you know let's do a new it would be a new deal if if let's let's go another you know push for a year and then sign another three-year deal yeah well i don't understand okay well i guess what happened what's going to happen here is nothing's going to happen nothing. that banting is he didn't, he didn't even name the company so he's uh not a big enough star not enough let's say cash flow to really file a lawsuit the company if it is buell maybe and it, if it isn't it's still a small enough company to where what's he really going to get out of them anyways yeah. one thing if it was quicksilver you know then he goes after that maybe a lawyer will do it for him on contingency or whatever um but it's like this is small peanuts the contract's a small number it's not worth getting lawyers involved so all that this is ever going to be is just a social media back and forth and in which case, I'm like, why even take the complaint public unless you're going to name the company? I mean, unless Matty Banting is going to become the next great action sports agent. He's going to learn. This is a superhero them. story. I mean, it so is. Or a super villain story. Yep. I'm going to get Cersei Wallace on Matt Banting in order to guide him up in the ways of how to use that rage uh, to help others. He could use her help. That's for sure. But yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like that kind of Instagram or whatever, social media post where you're frustrated about something, you blow off steam about it in a totally unconstructive way Yeah, where yeah. it doesn't help you. Like maybe you get strokes in the comments. I mean, that's the dang thing with social media, I feel, is the strokes in the comments as enough. Like that's what you need, right? For... Right for like you get a bunch of people in the comments saying oh man bummer screw them whatever and that's so that's what you did it for that's the payment you got was 120 comments of people saying screw them that's it right do you remember um Depactus when that yeah. whole thing fell out yes see that i felt that was a more meaty story because there was actually real money involved and i feel like mark healy uh, I think he was the one who took it public and like said to Luke Egan, was it? Yeah. So, yeah. To Luke Egan, like, Hey, you still owe me nine months worth of pay or whatever. I felt like his objective there was more directed at protecting other people from getting involved in business with that entity, yes. you know? And so it felt, but if Banting's not even going to call the company out, then it's really not it's not serving anybody, I guess. You, you got to name the company. If it's going to be yeah. any, if there's going to be anything there, because then people, at least your 125 commenters could maybe not buy that company's product. Like, right. which at least you're, could think, ah, I'm getting you in the teeth a little bit. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I got a listener line call for you if you're ready for it. Great. Hello, David and Chaz. Um, just calling in to uh, bring up an epiphany I had, um, and it's regarding the uh, Coffin brothers, specifically Parker Coffin. Just wanted to acknowledge that uh, Parker Coffin has eclipsed his uh, CT competitive brother of Connor Coffin, who probably, unfortunately, will never break the top five again. His air game is just not there, but we don't have to get into that. But the reason I think this is uh, if you look at his recent uh, accolades, he was the uh, trial person for CTI's uh, Stab in the Dark winning board. 
I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, but he has that under his belt. He was not only that, but he was also invited to participate in the drive through series, legendary series, and he can now add that to his resume with the likes of uh, Kelly Slater, Benji Weatherly, Ock, and just to name a few. Uh, he was featured on the uh, acclaimed Snap 4 edit, as everyone saw and praised. Not only that, he also was on the winning team of the backdoor shootout with the Snap 4 team. Of course, he had heavy hitters on his team with uh, Baron, Mason, and uh, Benji, but besides that, he's uh, he's just kind of killing it this year. Anyways, just wanted to give a Parker Coffin shout out. Keep up the work. You ready for this, David Lee Scales? Tell me. You ready? You ready for a meander down <laughs> history's primrose path? Sure. Uh, when I was working on Welcome to Paradise, Now Go to Hell, my first book, spent time with Kybor Garcia, who was then uh in charge of the Volcom houses uh kyborg garcia i used to be able to do a kyborg impression can't anymore but old borg told me you know the kid who's the kid it's stinking parker coffin like absolutely loved parker loved the way he charged loved everything about parker where i think parker is an exceptional talent who is totally oddly under the radar even though he's in public view regularly. But I think I totally agree with the caller. Parker is a, should be, should be everyone's favorite surfer. I couldn't agree more. And not that it needs to be brother versus brother. However, you just, you do compare them because they are brothers. And I think Parker has actually um, surfs better now than Connor ever has as well. Oddly though, it's kind of like a, uh, PG rated version of Andy and Bruce where yeah it is have, that's true you have Connor's Andy right who it really does surf well on the CT is a little has to kind of button it up a little more because of you know well, he's on the CT and then you got the Bruce who screwed the CT I'm just gonna go you know do whatever I want I feel there's a version of that in Connor and Parker obviously Connor doesn't surf quite as good as AI and Parker, I guess, doesn't serve or, yeah, quite as good as Bruce. But there's there's a similarity there, I think, where Parker's freedom in not being part of the CT is what makes him more dynamic. Yeah, he, he's got a more well-rounded game. Like Parker, or when you think of Connor, obviously you think of the power game. He serves big barreling waves fairly well. But Parker's the full package. He's got just as much power as Connor does. He does the craziest club sandwiches, big airs. He charges. He's got, he's everything. I think and he's incredible. He is the most underrated surfer right now. And what, I mean, Borg's whole thing with him was he would be up first thing in the morning at the, like, I think sleeping in the dungeon or I don't know where he slept, but like, you know, it wasn't the pristine kid up first thing in the morning charging whatever he was told to charge like was just yeah. no fear out there just loving it and having so much fun in heavy 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 stuff where i think that's a that's a thing for sure and i told you we had um brit merrick on spit with scott bass earlier this week and he said parker is the most astute team rider that they have like He'll get boards from uh, Brit, come back, 
with the notepad filled with notes and then also video clips and then pull up video clips be like, hey, this board feels this way. I think it's this little detail in the rocker line here. Watch this footage so I could show you and then runs the clip for Brit. Congratulations to Brit, by the way, first, like huge win. Bravo. Many, he's, many cheers from me. Love Rimmer. Two-time winner. Uh, he and John Pizel are the only guys who have that distinction. I mean, real quick, before we get back to Parker, uh, Britt taking over his father's legendary business and building upon it, I think is very, very, very rare. Like, it's a great call. I don't think that's easy to do. I don't think it's easy to step in the shoes of your father, A, who built this company and had Kelly Ryder, or Kelly Ryder, Kelly, Kelly Slater, and, you know, I mean, Machado, like the, the list of epic surfers on Channel Islands, sort of 1.0, for it to kind of go into not a holding period, but like, it didn't necessarily, it, it could it could have drafted off its name for a long time, right? It could have made soft tops and, you know, whatever and been fine. Just the Channel Islands name would have been a tidy little business. But for Brit to pick it back up uh, and sort of remake it as, I, I mean, the thing again, like, I want to ride CIs again. Yeah, yeah. I want to ride with what Parker's riding and Devin's riding. You can I mean, have a full CI the, quiver. That's the thing. I want, I'm a CI man again. Uh, and I haven't been a CI man for a while, but I am fully yeah. on the pro, the CI program. Well, uh, the other detail about Parker Coffin versus Connor is Connor was on CI for the vast majority of his career he switched to JS at the precise wrong time because the team riders got an opportunity to invest in the buyback of Channel Islands, which younger brother Parker, in fact, did. And so it's like Parker, they're kind of, there's a path that they were both on simultaneously and Connor's kind of gone CT. I'll take the JS deal. Maybe they're probably going to pay him more money, you know, monthly is essentially what I would think would happen there. And Parker quietly did his own thing and is still doing his own thing and has developed more interest and potentially uh, a better portfolio of assets as well with this deal. So bravo to Parker. I know Parker doesn't need it financially. I think they come from well-to-do people. Yeah, they do. Well. Uh, yeah, but you still got to build on that legacy as you just mentioned. Oh, for sure. No, nothing against that at all. I was just thinking that Maybe we should sponsor Parker next. Not that he needs the money, but that that's that's the next surfer of the people. I'm all in. I'm yeah. all in. Parker Coffee. Uh, take my money. Um, I got this. Isn't a call, but it's just an epiphany that somebody sent in. He said, "Hey, is Kai Lenny the Kenny G of surfing?" Mm, yes. Let yes. me. Yeah. We're gonna say yes no matter what, but let me unpack it. Kai, so. Kenny G is known for safe sacks, right? Yes. Yep. Smooth jazz, safe sacks. And it's like, it's not the sexiest instrument. Kai Lenny, he's riding uh, windsurf boards. He's riding foil boards. He's getting towed in. All of that is not the sexiest thing, but 
Kenny G realized, but even though it's not the sexiest thing, by the way, it, it takes just as much technical prowess as any of that other stuff. It's just not cool. Yeah. And so Kenny, Kenny G playing the sax, not the sexiest, takes a lot of uh, as much prowess as playing a guitar or a piano, but it wasn't the sexiest. And he just shirked all of the haters. And he was like, screw you guys, who cares? I'm going to pander to the major this, audience, the major audience. I'm going to get on national radio. I'm going to get on every elevator that you're ever going to step in every commercial that you're ever going to hear. And I'm going to cash more checks than anybody who's trying to do the sexy thing. And Kai Lenny's kind of followed that path as well. Completely. It was a, an astute observation right there. I thought so too, because I have a feeling this came to him because there's a documentary on HBO about Kenny G and because I can't imagine he just pulled this out of thin air, but I had a feeling he was listening to that or watching that documentary, then listened to an episode of us talking about Kai, Kai and was like, man, Kai has walked that same exact path. It's perfect. Good on you, Kai. Way to be Kenny G. And also they're both so dang affable. You can't hate on them. Handsome. Good looking guys who, who are, I think also uh, aware of their own, what they did, right? Like Ken G was never respect me as a rock star. I yeah. am, I'm, I'm the world's greatest recording artist. Give me respect. I think Kenny G was always in on his own joke. I agree completely. Um, do you think Kenny G is also fueled by Taco Bell? I hope so. Taco Bell should fuel everyone alongside Applebee's. You can have your Taco Bell for lunch and Applebee's for dinner. That was quite the reveal the other day. I don't eat at Applebee's, but I do love drinking in the neighborhood. Right. Uh, you'll appreciate this. Lauren used to live in a small town in New Mexico, and it was so small that the Applebee's would actually turn into a club after 10 o'clock. Makes sense. I would go there. I would have been first in line. I would have been pushing, pushing through to get there. It was the only place to party in town. Love it. Um, yeah, I thought that was funny too. Uh, okay, one more listener line call, and then we'll go to Barrel or Nah. Aloha, David and Chaz. It's Shukin here. I hope the book signing uh, went really well. Wish it could have been there. Uh, I got a question for you with cell phones. Um, so you know how growing up we had the stop, drop, and roll rule for, um, you know, if you caught fire and get under a table if there's an earthquake or something. Kim, now that you're global and we have listeners in Barcelona and all over Australia, is there any way that we can get a movement to, if you're going to work on your cell phone, you stop, you look over your shoulders, and you move to the side? I mean, is that too much to ask for? I don't know. You tell me. Anyway, blessed are the bank robbers, blessed are the cheesemakers, keep up the work. Shukin, absolutely, 100% yes. This is the biggest bane of my existence. A clueless people on their cell phones, in the car, or on the street. I see them walking, stepping off of the corner pedestrians with busy traffic, with their head buried in their phone, not even checking their blind spot, not looking over their shoulder. Complete chaos. When I taught at USC years ago now, uh, I had a colleague who smoked. Uh, he would refuse to walk when he was smoking, right? So he'd be walking to class. He would stop. He would have a cigarette, stand still, and then continue walking to class, which 
I feel should be uh, cell phone etiquette too. Like it is something you do like smoking. You go out of the way, you stop whatever else you're doing. You don't, you don't light up a cigarette right in a crowd of people. No, you step out, you step away, you take care of your business, then you come back, right? Same, it should be same. Cell phones and cigarette behavior should be the exact same. Entirely. And also, Shukin referenced stop, drop, and roll. There is no point in that messaging anymore. Very, very few children ever catch on fire. And if they do, I have a feeling they know what to do. Just instinctually, you're going to know what to do. Cell phone etiquette, every single human being can benefit from. So let's definitely institute it. We'll start here with our PSAs. Treat your cell phone like a cigarette. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's no need for us to go to commercial, but we will tell people to go to athleticgreens.com slash surf. We already talked about it at the beginning of the show. We already referenced athletic greens, but let's just tell them right now, athleticgreens.com slash surf. That's enough. No need to go to commercial. A healthy person. Exactly. Um, okay. Barrel or nah, before we go to the book reading, allowing your partner to shave your back. Nah. Really? Yeah. Like, do you? I've never done it, but I don't really have a hairy back. I mean, I don't have a hairy back, but I mean, how else? There's going to be spot. If you have a hairy back and there's spots on your back that you can't reach, you have to have somebody do it. Your partner's the only option. Otherwise, you got to rock a hairy back. Nope. I'm going to say you're either okay with a hairy back if you have one, you just accept it. This is my lot in life. Hey, Sorry about it. I didn't want it, but genetics chose and this is what they chose, right? So that's A. B, if you're worried about it, then you go get it professionally taken care of at a uh, waxer or whatever. That's right. I didn't think about that option, but I suppose that is an option. But why wouldn't you want your spouse doing it for you? Because you don't want, like, you want, do you want to get divorced or broken up with? (laughs) Like, you don't be super gross on purpose in front of your spouse. Like the idea of, Hey man, we're married. We're a couple. Now we share everything. I'm going to poop a door open and you're going to shave my back. Not cool. You're asking, begging for a divorce. And so when it happens, look in the mirror at your hairy back that was just shaved by your wife and say, that's why. And you won't have anybody to shave your back. Exactly. You do not le- do not lean into the, Hey, we share everything. Do not share everything. A, your wife is not your friend, not your best friend, not even your friend. She's your wife or girlfriend. B, do not share everything. Keep your gross stuff. Take care of it yourself. Don't put it on her. I mean, I was just thinking uh, in terms of practicality, but you're totally right. Years ago, we had a barrel or gnaw that was farting in front of your partner or spouse. And that was obviously a gnaw for the same reason. Yeah. It's like, this is the one person in your life that you actually get to be romantic with, ostensibly the one person. Uh, yeah, so maintain that romance as much and as passionately as possible. Keep the mystique. Be a be like, yeah, you can take care of it all day, every day. Go lump it and go to a whatever, whoever does that kind of thing, a uh, whatever, waxing specialist. Like, if you think you're less of a man for going to a waxing specialist than letting your spouse do it, but my goodness, don't do that. I like it. Well, that dovetails perfectly 
with the next uh, Barrel or Not, which is a listener line call. It was a long-winded call, um, but I'm just going to play you the last portion of the call because that's what relates to what we're talking about. wanted to uh, offer a Barrel or Not, and that is getting relationship advice from a surf podcast. I uh, take what you guys have to say to heart, and I, you know, put it through my brain and think of it logically and seems to check out most of the time. But again, would love your guys' opinion. Love the podcast. Love the grit. Hope to see you guys tomorrow in the Hoya. So Barrel or Nah, taking relationship advice from a surf podcast. Absolute barrel. But only this surf podcast. But I'm going to say also, if you're taking relationship advice from uh, Ain't That Swell or from the... Uh, What's the one? The Cobblestones. What's Mitch Robinson's podcast? Tales from the Cobblestones. Tales, Tales from the Cobblestones. If you're getting from side, we look sideways. If you're getting advice from this, I'm going to say this is the best advice you're getting right here. I'm going to say that people who give you advice from advice podcasts should not be listened to. People who are giving you Definitely true not. real world experience, take it all in. Act on it. Agreed. You, you can agree Agreed. or disagree. But yeah, this is the best advice you're going to get. Look, I don't know how many other surf podcasts are dishing out advice, uh, relationship advice. I think that's our, our little corner of the market. But you have, you and I both have some relationship failures and some successes. And we're different. Yeah, totally. Successes for different reasons, failures for different reasons. And that gives us as much credibility as anybody else who's going to offer you advice. So why not? I mean, all in on the advice. Listen, disagree, but listen. There you go. Take it with a grain of salt. Apply it as uh, you see fit. And or my Fine. advice, you should all take with no grains of salt and implement in your life immediately. Chug without salt. <laughs> uh, final barrel or not. Nah. Yesterday was St. Patrick's Day. Corned beef and cabbage. Love it. Oddly. It's but the I actually, best. I actually like it. I mean, that's the problem. If you're eating it just to be, think you're being Irish or whatever, then that's gross, right? Like, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But I love corned beef. It's uh, freaking amazing. And I love corned beef and cabbage. It's delicious. It's first of all a brisket, which is an excellent cut. I know it used to be cheap, and that's why they used it. Uh, but I love pickled things. So it's pickled brisket brined brisket but with pickling spices cabbage is something that i never appreciated as a child i think cabbage is so good now cabbage is the parker coffin of the food lettuces i eat it raw like with a plate lunch like teriyaki chicken rice raw cabbage with there for crunch in a fish taco it's amazing the braised cabbage in this dish phenomenal it holds up it doesn't wilt it's incredible can't be beat a good coleslaw Cannot be beat. Cannot be beat. You want to hear an awful dad's joke? Yeah. I mean, now you're going to get the punchline because the way it was set up, but you know what Murphy's Law is, right? Yeah. Have you heard of Cole's Law? No. Oh, it's thinly sliced cabbage. You mix a little mayo in there. Good. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Love Can't it. wait to share that one with Austin. Love it. Yeah. All right. Well, well, on that note, uh, we should pitch to the book uh, Q&A, the book non-reading, the book conversation. Where can people find the book? 
anywhere. Find it at your, hopefully, your local bookstore, to be honest. Like, if you have a local bookstore, if you don't and you're wanting to uh, or not minding a little bit of extra shipping time, order it from Warwick's or from Powell's in Portland or from Book Soup in LA or whatever. If you have a local bookstore around your region, you can always order a book from them. It might take a little longer. Shipping might be a couple bucks more, but screw Amazon. But Amazon, too. <laughs> um, do you see any difference in your paycheck depending on where people buy it no it's all same diff to me but uh yeah but support your local all right blessed are the bank robbers by chad by one chas smith thank you all right man congrats on a big week book release um new washer and a new cell phone huge and clubbing a club night that's right and clubbing Enjoy the weekend, Chaz. Uh, We'll be back on our regular schedule next week, right? Thursday or Friday? Back in person. Okay, cool. Let's do it. All right, until then. Get barrel. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The teller, right? But so I think, and usually that is between, I don't know, 10 and 20 grand, I think. Uh, but up to 30, I think. But he got into the day safe once which I think was the person just, uh, the teller offered to open the day safe. Would you like me to open the day safe for you? And he said, sure. And I think then he was up north, I think near 100 grand on okay. the day safe hit. So 20 or 30 grand times 20 banks. Sure. In a short period, how long? Sure. Uh, six weeks? Six weeks. It's a good take. Crushing it. Did uh, they recover all the money? No. Where's the money? Does uh, he? <laughs> he, I don't know what happens with the money, to be honest. Okay. Uh, he, he had a, a gambling problem, so a lot of it got right. gambled. Like, once you get this money, you got to launder the money. The easiest way to launder is gambling, right? Except if you're gambling, then you accidentally can also develop gambling addiction. And so then you're gambling more than just to launder, and oh, there went your take for the, for the day. But he bought Bitcoin, uh, a bunch of Bitcoin, lot multiple Bitcoin. Uh, and thought when Bitcoin hit, I think $1,200, thought, greatest thing ever, cash it all out. So, yeah. <laughs> it's at 40000 right now. Yeah, could have could have been probably a Bitcoin millionaire at this point if he just would have held his Bitcoin. Um, what was his method for robbing banks? And did anybody get hurt? Uh, no, nobody got hurt, I don't think. Uh, method was, he like, at the end of the book, for anybody who really needs cash fast, he gives a PowerPoint presentation for actually how to rob a bank. And so you can learn yourself how to do it. But he initially started with uh, handing a note over, right? He worked out the note a lot, like what it should say, how he should say it, you know, the feeling, the general tone of the note. Uh, that was initially, but then lost the note after a few banks realizing it's all about DNA connect collection, right? Like the more stuff you leave behind, the more chance you have to get caught. So the best thing to do for those who want to go rob a bank, is to go shout really loud and you just scare people and then work quick, quickly. So that's was there a gun involved? Uh, never, but he did have a uh, fake pellet gun in his backpack. Okay, but never there, used it. The, uh, bank employees are trained to comply essentially. Yeah. Yes, okay. and so yeah, and so he would have a he would take a hammer, he would tape a hammer to his leg in case he got locked in, okay. uh, and then a fake pellet gun, but never pulled the pellet gun. Okay. Um, do you remember, or yeah, do you remember how you found out that your cousin Danny was a bank robber? Yeah, it was, I mean, literally from after Tim getting arrested and then my mom called me and was like, you're gonna hear about this on the news. And yeah, you know, Danny's busted for robbing banks, like a bunch of banks. Was there anything in your experience with him growing up that would have indicated his life to come. Zero. Okay. I mean, that was the crazy thing, is we were the same, we grew up the same, right? Like, it wasn't like he was some distant cousin who I never saw. Like, I saw him regularly as a kid. We had the same, you know, Christian base, family background. Like, again, he went to Point Loma, married his point or high school sweetheart, you know, at 22 or whatever, had a kid. Like, it was all your standard fair evangelical Christian stuff. And so when, yeah, there was nothing, nothing. And I still, I mean, I wanted to write the book to get, like, how is somebody 
so familiar to you, how does that person do I've always wondered, how does somebody rob a bank, right? Like, I mean, I don't know about, I dream about robbing banks all day, every day. Every time I go into a bank, I think, you can get away with that. I can take this bank <laughs> yeah. right now. Like, all that's lacking for me is the guts. And so then I thought, well, wait a second. How did Danny get the guts? Like, what was the jump? It's, and we were family. Like, I knew him. I knew how he was raised. I knew everything. And so I felt, if I could solve this little riddle, how does somebody do it? Then that, that'll be interesting. Um, what did you determine was that first? We know it was the white picket fence. It's the rebellion against the Christian upbringing and the white picket fence life. But was there something specific? I mean, I think it's the, at the end of it, I think it's the same, same damn reason, or sorry, dang reason that I, that I, you know, went to Yemen and Lebanon in war and stuff. I think there's this, like, there is this craving for over the edge adventure in my family, which his, my uncle Dave, Danny's dad, smuggled Stinger missiles into Afghanistan, where like, we got our kicks in weird ways I feel, and it was always towards some bigger goal. I think in Danny, it was the same thing. It's the same, like, I loved so, I mean, I was having the time of my life being kidnapped by Hezbollah. Like, when that was happening, I was just like, we're living now, where I think that was it for me. For Danny, it turned into Robin Banks. That's covered in a previous book as well, if anybody wants. Um, so you find out from your mom that this is gonna break on the news. You had no idea Danny was robbing banks. When did you start communicating with him? And I mean, obviously the book comes at some point, but when did you start communicating with him? So when he got locked up for this first run in Donovan, so in San Diego, so went to see him in Donovan and then wrote a couple letters to him back and forth. But then, so he got out of prison after did a minor eight years, which I always thought, I think in 19 banks for eight years seems like a pretty good that's why I want to exchange. know what the number of dollars was. Yeah, I, I think it's a good exchange. Okay. I think it is, a, but I think that eight years he got really lucky on that. Anyway, got out, wanted to write about it, but he, yeah, started or got busted again and had to go on the lam. So I knew that he was a fugitive at large, uh, but didn't know, of course, how do you contact a fugitive? Like, didn't much think about it uh, until he reached out to me after on our podcast. Uh, I. Tell the story. This guy named Ashton Goggins, who's a... <laughs> Give him a brief version. <laughs> a, a, he's a surf writer, too. Uh, and on our podcast, I got angry at what he said once and jumped over the coffee table to try to choke him out. Uh, that podcast goes live. Ashton called the cops on me. I got mad about that. So then Danny, on the lam, had listened to this podcast and reached out to me saying, heard the podcast you don't seem like the kind of guy who's going to call the cops on me, like gets lonely on the road and, you know, I'm not looking for anything from you. Just, you know, call the cops on me, call your lawyer. I don't think you will, but you know, I just want a friend basically. And so that's what started actually the book is communicating with him while he was actively robbing banks as a fugitive and getting insight. And, you know, we, I just go back and forth, like, could never call, but it was just nonstop encrypted Swiss emails, like trying to plumb into his mind about how is this happening, and then he got caught again. So, so it wasn't a book. You just truly wanted to. It, the concept for the book hadn't been developed yet. No, it was just I'm curious. He's reaching out to me for a reason. The concept too of him 
being on the lam and continually robbing banks is kind of fascinating. Is there an end goal in mind? Is he trying to hit a million bucks? Like, what is you're stuck. What's the plan? What, I mean, what do you do when you're on the land? You can't get a job, I've right? I've never been on the land. I don't know. Exactly. You can't get, so I'll tell you. You can't get a job. He tried to get a job as a ski instructor in Park City, I think. And as soon as they asked for your social security number, right? Any normal job. So he could kind of do, like, I don't know. I think he taught guitar lessons or something. But I ain't paying the bills. What pays the bills? Stinking Robin Banks. Yeah. Leave the country. So we talk about that. I get all the way into that. The fugitive life, like what you do when you, there's all a bunch of easy things to think about when you think if I was a fugitive, this is what I would do. The practicality and actuality of doing it. So you're out of the country now, you can never come back. And what are you gonna do out there to make money? I mean, presumably you robbed enough banks. The goal, so that's why I'm asking you, was there an end goal? Because if you rob enough banks here, you can live elsewhere Theoretically, you would not develop a gambling addiction right. somewhere along the way. I thought the gambling addiction was before the robbing of the bank. Is that not true? It is, okay. it, but it was, It was. he tried to kick it, and right. but it kept on. Like he but did he been, need to rob that first bank to pay his gambling addiction? He did. Yeah. But okay. then also, gambling is how you launder the money. So it becomes this, even if you want to kick gambling, you've still got to gamble to, to clean your money. That's the easiest way. Yeah. So, yeah, you're stuck um, in the cycle. I was also thinking that the bank robbing would replace the gambling in terms of the thrill. It did. I think he, he, I think he cured himself of, of his gambling addiction, but got caught before he could amass a fortune enough to got leave it. the country on. That's a real vicious cycle, man. It's a vicious I mean, cycle. <laughs> the, the equation really doesn't ever work out. Um, although, I guess, in jail... That would probably quell the gambling. So, I mean, he had a shot. He went to a commune, I write about it, on the, in Virginia. He, the, this commune didn't take any, uh, didn't ask for any ID or anything, right? Uh, if the community accepts you, you're in, no questions asked. Went out there, hated it so bad. After he left the first night he was there, he would have been totally free there. He would have been fine for the rest of his life. Could have made hammocks and tofu. That's what they did there. Uh, I asked him, just two days ago, do you ever think about that? Because he's in jail again now. And he said, no, I'd way take jail over that stupid commune. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Doesn't seem like the personality type who could settle into that. Yeah. Um, he ends up on Tinder. Tinder is what brought him down. So, so explain how he gets caught. <laughs> that was not a joke. He ends up on Tinder. I mean, that was it. For a guy who doesn't want to share his social security number. Tinder. Yeah. He could not help Tinder. Right. And so it's a dating app for those of you who don't know. So like love the Tinder life, right? Was do Tinder dating girls, but fell in love with the Tinder date that he could not shake. And so that's eventually how the FBI, he's cousin Dan is smart. Like, uh, he has, you know, graduate degree, went to Rutgers, all this kind of stuff. Smart guy, but could not shake Tinder. And the FBI busted him, basically, Tinder date. Explain the story. How did, they, how did he get busted? I mean, he had a Tinder girlfriend who uh, he, like, yeah, really liked, I guess, but had to, had to leave because got busted robbing banks around the house. And so, but, so the FBI knew that she existed. He copped to her that he was not, in fact, one of his, whatever, he is uh, not a pen name. What do fugitives call it? Alias, thank you. <laughs> I like that in my dumb author world, it's just a pen name. <laughs> His pen name. Uh, uh, so he went and coughed to her, like, I am not Jeremy Pevlik or whatever it was. I'm Dan Corson. She looked up all his stuff. Obviously, it was a shock to her. She called FBI after he left. 
he knew she was going to do that or guessed she was going to do that or he he didn't know because he saw like new mug shots of him that were like sexy photos that he had sent to her like yeah shirtless hunk photos he had only sent them to one person they're now the mug shot these ones yeah Yeah. Like, like so he knew that she was but he couldn't shake it so he went and visited her uh and then would call her and the fbi had yeah they have crazy things this fbi they they have like a van it's like for i think supposed to be for terrorist use but they can mimic a cell phone tower and so can capture all the cell phones coming in and so yeah they were sitting out there and saw strange phones coming in or strange a series of calls coming in from boise and so kind of centered in on boise and then nabbed him going so going on another tinder date yeah they set up a sting right <laughs> yeah, they set up when he went on a tinder date on another tinder date with yeah. somebody else yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he got busted on a tinder date there's a lot of crazy stories. There's documentaries about it. Yeah. Horrible things that happen on Tinder. This was, I mean, he, he this was, was right up there. He was aware that this, she was a, uh, I think a gym trainer. And yeah. And he, right. he, yeah, said, I mean, it must have been a nightmare for her. I mean, <laughs> like, she got full flashbang grenade, like, dug into the ground, whole nine. Um, he's driven by adrenaline. This seems like the most intense kind of life that you could be living. Plus, huge amounts of cash on hand. Does it ever get boring? I mean, we know the idea of chasing the dragon where you have to do more. Does that level of intensity ever get boring for Danny? He claims it did, but I don't believe him. Like, I don't know how it does, right? I mean, he's done it, and I didn't. But he claimed, I mean, yeah. It's hard when somebody's, for me, not hard, but like, as a writer, as somebody looking in and examining something, when somebody is just talking cliche about their experience, like you can believe, you know, he wrote to me like it's starting to get boring after whatever amount of X. Well, you know, no. When does it ever get boring? There's no way it gets boring. So then, I, but the fact that he's my cousin, I could push him and say it does not get. Bo-. Explain to me exactly how this is getting boring. So that was the fun part of writing this is he's not just a wasn't just a subject that he would sit and say something because I think we're all if we're all going to jibber jabber. We can all accidentally jibber-jabber cliche about what we do, right? If somebody asks you, yeah, yeah. what's it like to podcast, or what's it like to do this, and you could just have the row kind of, you know, blah, blah. but if somebody's there to pressure you and say, no, that, like, actually think about this. What actually is this to you? So, yeah, I think it, it got uh, very, very stressful, but he, he needed the adrenaline. He craved it. He couldn't, yeah, but he couldn't what do you go on to from that? You know what I mean? I think, I think he thought... Because you never think you're going to actually get caught. You say you're going to get caught. He would say, I knew this was a possibility, but you're not acting like you're going to get caught, right? And so I think he thought that he would figure it out down the road somewhere. Okay. He would probably stop his gambling and get enough money to go somewhere where he could be off the grid enough to disappear. Um, does he express any remorse? Contrition, regret. Yeah, all of it, and especially for I think uh, the Friday night bank robber, one of the most or the most prolific in U.S. history, uh, a guy named Carl Gugasian, I think, was a like legend at doing it. Went for thirty years, uh, was so clinical and good at what he did, made a ton of money, etc. But finally got caught, and uh, in prison, he said. I learned there the terror that I inflicted upon bank tellers, uh, and that made him feel bad, where Cousin Danny feels the same kind of, okay. the 
you're going in and you're doing your thing and you're so in the moment, you're just screaming, you you know, you're, or you feel you're not dangerous, you know, but... It almost feels victimless. Sure. If it's insured and all that sort of totally. thing, that's how he's justifying. Completely. And he knows that, you know, he, or assuming I'm a good guy, I'm not going to hurt you, Teller. Right. Teller doesn't know that. Teller thinks... It's the worst day of that Teller's life. <laughs> that, is, that Teller is getting absolutely traumatized. And I think that recognition after the fact of, of the real damage you put on others, even if you're not... Even if you think, well, I wasn't going to hurt anybody. I was just, you know, like, I think that is a, that's kind of a, a cross to bear. I wonder how much of that um, he feels earnestly about it while he's sitting in a cell. How much of that is actually uh, sticks with him once he gets out. I mean, I want to be pushing him to go for the record, so I hope not a lot. <laughs> when, how long is he in jail for? What's the sentence? I think he's out in another six years. He keeps crazy. He keeps getting, I mean, he's a... Yeah, he keeps getting not that big a sentences for what it should be right. by various, yeah. Does, so an indicator as to whether or not he would continue this lifestyle, has he expressed any, um, like, you know what, I, I should have done this better. I think Now he, that I know, I would have done this instead. I think, no, I, I don't think he will continue, okay. hopefully. I mean, jokes aside. Uh, but who knows? What do you do? Like at this, I don't know where you go from there. And at this point too, you're you're basically unemployable. Like yeah. you can go get a you know real. I mean, I think in terms of like felon reform and whatnot, there's something really to be said for that. Where there's there's no option for these guys when they get out, right? They're right. like you can't get a good job. You can't do anything. And so what if what are you going to do if you can't do anything? Why not just go do it again? And if you know jail life, and that's not that scary. I mean, how scary is going to jail for you? The scariest thing in the world. I think that I would not want to go. Last time, last uh, big plan he shared with me was basically doing a version of Get Hard. Remember the yeah, yeah. Will Ferrell, yeah, like where he could actually help white, train people, white collar criminals. This is what this is what prison is actually like for you. Um, what's your family's stance on Danny now that they know what he's been up to? Do they? Yeah, do, you stand, do you stand by Danny as a family? Do you abandon him? I mean, that's a problem with the family. I think they kind of did abandon him in a silly way. I don't know how you don't stand by the bank robber more than anyone in the family. He's by far the most interesting person in the family to me now. I don't know how everybody, is, like Cousin Dan, is like, this is the pinnacle of what our family produced. <laughs> a serial bank. That, that's what it is to me. Hmm. Of course. Books have been written. Movies may be made. You know, I mean, it is a legacy. It's a legacy. It's a legacy. A fantastic one. I'm not sure about fantastic, but, <laughs> um, but I mean, seriously, have they, do they, do they still talk to him? I think, that, no, I okay. don't think so, but okay. I don't think it's out of anger. I think my family is, the extended family is just lazy. And they all should, but I think they're all myopically focused on their own thing. Yeah. But everybody should just be hanging out with Cousin Dan. How do they feel about you airing the family's dirty laundry in a book? Probably not good, to be honest. They're probably not none too happy. <laughs> I, uh, I can't help it. Um, we were talking about, at the beginning, we were talking about kind of the evangelical upbringing and him rebelling against that, and this being part of what's driven him um, to chase that intensity. Is Danny still Christian? I think he probably... I really pushed him on it hard, where I think he was like, I don't believe that. I was like, come on, you sure do. And so I think I pushed him back into agnostic, where I'm gonna still push him into 
full believer, again, robbing banks. That's my goal. So he was anti, <laughs> now he's agnostic. Yeah. He's making his way back. He's making his way back. I'm going to bring him back and also facilitate his future bank robbing. I'm going to do both things at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's good. Less for the bank robbing. Because you want a part two? You need another book out of this? I want to have the world record of banks being my cousin. He may already have it. I he just hasn't fessed up to it. I mean, I hope so, but I feel he needs 10 more. I think if he knocks 10 more off, <laughs> then we're good. Then we could, yeah. Um, will there be a movie made about it? It feels like a movie. It feels cinematic. I mean, yeah, the people have kicked the tires on this one. So we'll um, was that Robert Redford movie, the one that... Dog the Afternoon? No, it was a recent one with, oh. with Casey Affleck. Oh. About a guy? I thought it was the guy who robbed the most in the world. Oh, it might have been, yeah. Okay. Um, who would ideally play Danny? Man. I don't, I don't know what Danny looks like. Danny Danny looks like now, he's got such slick, uh, out of sight, George Clooney, remember that? Yeah. Slick, skinny, white guy Kong, who has, like, real hard gel yards on the face, right? Like, How old is he? Danny's, I'm 45, Danny's must be 48. Okay. Edward Norton. Yeah, Edward Norton could pull a mean Danny. Okay. Yeah. He's got range, too. I feel like he could do it. Edward Norton would be perfect. Okay, good. Yeah. Solved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Slick hair. Still open a suggestion. Yeah. Edward Norton. Um, excellent. Should we open it up for yeah, questions? questions? Is that what we generally yeah. do? Um, we have a question from the gentleman in the blue. Which of your next family members will you be writing about, and what will be the subject? <laughs> Hopefully, oh, I'll tell you exactly. My daughter. Uh, my daughter is, man, I really stuck her. Where is she at? Right here. She's reading a graphic novel in the yeah, back. Read a graphic novel. Yeah, she, funny, she is a ballerina, loves ballet. I've fallen in love with ballet through her, or so I thought. Uh, my buddy sent me a book proposal that I sent him when she was like one and a half of, this is my next thing. It's my daughter becomes a ballerina and I go on this big ballet journey with her. Wow. So yeah, so I somehow dreamed this dang thing up and just happened to have a perfect ballerina. So yeah, <laughs> ballet and her. I can see it. Yeah. That's a fascinating subject. Yeah, it's good. It's it is good. good. Yeah. There's a lot of meat on that. Ballet is fantastic. Um, do we have any other questions? Yes. How many point break references did you have in your communication with them? Oddly, not that many. It's funny. Uh, the idea of, very, like, to me, I know the point break guys obviously surf, but to me, the whole thing was them uh, skydiving. Skydiving. That's what stuck. So they were, they were, Skydiving bank robbers, not and like, yeah, not surfing bank robbers. He mentioned it once or twice, but it's like I don't even know that we. It was so far. It should have been primary, right? I know. Like, I can't believe like, I didn't think of that either. I know, but it, it's like, such an obvious connection. It, it is the connection, right? But I never, I, in always corresponding with him, I never even thought about it. Like I didn't think about it till after the book came out. And thought, oh, I maybe should have mentioned this somewhere. But yeah. I did literally reference all kinds of movies in the book, uh, except for Point Break. Does not get even, and I didn't leave it out on purpose. I fully did not think about it the entire time. Interesting. Questions? Maybe Point yes, Break right here, and then we'll go to the young man in the white afterwards. 
but right here in the Grateful Dead. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you talked about it a little bit in Welcome to Paradise, um, like about William Finnegan and like uh, like the pain of like knowing that you can't like write that. Uh, I feel that too. But like, <laughs> like, what are your thoughts on that book and like like your career in relation to his? Because obviously like, you're a surf writer and he's like a writer who writes about surfing. I'll re restate the question just for those in the back who couldn't hear. It was about William Finnegan's book, um, Barbarian Days, right? It's a memoir about surfing, and Chaz lamenting in the past that he couldn't ever live up to that quality of writing. And so, is that the question? But like, how do you relate that how to do you, like, Welcome to Paradise and Cocaine and Surfing, like writing about your own experiences as a surf writer? And so to be honest, I will say that I like Finnegan's work. I didn't like Barbarian Days. I thought it was, I didn't even finish it. Like, I thought it was uh, well-written, but I didn't think it, it didn't do anything for me. Not that, clearly, it is a masterful work. It won the Pulitzer Prize. It is the thing that should be praised. I will praise it because I feel like I have to. Uh, I didn't really like it. And so, uh, when I compare myself, I, I suppose, I'll only ever be trying to be a better writer, and so I'll go back and look at my early stuff where I had to go read Welcome to Paradise uh, for book on tape, you know, 10 years after it came out, or whatever, audible book. Oh my goodness, the, the amount of cringe to read old work that you can't change. I couldn't do anything. Like, I literally had to read the word on the page, and I was just like, sometimes when I was reading it, I was thinking, I'm the funniest guy on earth. Look at this. This is hilarious. Then I'd hit the next sentence and think, oh, why did I write that? All to say, if I can continue to write books where I feel I did it in uh, sort of short form stuff, if I can write something that 10 years later at, I don't cringe at, then I've arrived. Like, then I've done something, but probably stupidly, I'm my only audience really ever. If my wife likes it, and not only, literally, I know this is an awful judge of anything. If she's reading something I've written, sitting in bed, reading it, and I hear her chuckle, then I thought, okay, I was crushing it. I was like, so if I make her chuckle, then uh, it's quality work right there. Which I don't know if that's a good judge on quality work, but that's it for me. But not looking back and not cringing. That's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. Looking back on your own work and not cringing. Those two books are Chaz's book that you referenced and Finnegan's book are so stylistically different, yeah, so. but they are both great. You know, they can be entirely different and both great. So um, you can't ever be Finnegan, but you could be you. And yeah, you know. never will be Finnegan. Young man in the white shirt. Um, what, what prison is your cousin in now? What prison? What prison? He's in uh, Sheridan in Oregon. So he asked for. A, he was in. Um, Oh, which one? Are you a prison expert? Do you know your prisons? Uh, he's been he's been all over. Uh, he talks about the different. I mean, prison whole thing is fascinating to me too. And so, like the idea of private prisons, he's been in a couple private prisons where the idea that prisons some are private, where they are people making money and off this kind of thing is so bizarre to me. Crazy. So yeah, but now he's in a, I think another federal one, but up in Oregon. Uh, yes, Black Hat. I was just wondering if you uh, aspire or see yourself writing any fiction in your uh, writing future. It's funny, I, th I don't know that I have the chops, to be honest. Like, I think about it a lot and wonder about it, but 
I'm always, I mean, the thinking, you know, whatever, like truth is stranger than fiction. I can't come up, I mean, I thought about it even with Eddie Rothman, right? I could never come up with a character as great as a Jewish guy from Philadelphia who went and took over the North Shore, like as a fictional piece, or Cousin Danny, an evangelical Christian who started robbing banks. And so I think as, as long as, I'm just perpetually fascinated by true stories and I can't, I'm not creative enough to, to do something better than that. I do think uh, children's books, I would love to do a uh, fiction kids book series. But aside from that, yeah. Not about bankrupt. Um, in terms of truth being stranger than fiction, a child ballet prodigy that you manifested out of your own dreams. That's it. Stranger than fiction. All I mean, happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, did somebody else I see over here? Yeah. So, you know, you have such a, a tie to the surf community. Um, have you made a conscious effort these last two books to kind of get away from that? I think I thought earlier, yes. Uh, I thought that after Welcome to Paradise, this is it for me. This is my last thing I ever want to do with surfing. At this point now, I realize that surfing is such a part of me that it's going to be in anything I write for the rest of my life. There will be, it won't be a surf book, but there will be a surf tie, um, you know, like this one and anything moving forward. I will never, ever, ever be able to shake surfing. Son of a gun. Has, yeah. has Danny shaped surfing? I mean, he did, I think, just because he had to go, uh, he didn't shake it. He still like so. He perpetually, obviously, he was listening to our podcast, right? And <laughs> it, like, we'll continually. He he's always aware of what's happening in the world surf league and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I guess not. So when he gets out, he'll still surf. He'll still for sure. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, was there a question right back there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's related to that. Um, how is it with working on Beach Grit and and then working on a serious book? Um, and was it a break, or um, maybe talk about it a little bit? I mean, that's the thing. Anybody who knows Beach Grit knows that it's the most shallow, <laughs> empty, <laughs> like nothing. I get such pleasure out of trying to make surfing stupider every day, uh, and I don't think that's very that works. <laughs> that's not always appreciated. But I really like Beach Grit is kind of an ongoing joke between me and Derek. Uh, where he makes me laugh so much. Like, I read his stuff sometimes three or four times, some of his real gems, especially these days, his starting paragraphs are just so funny to me. And yeah, th then what I do, I love the community of Beach Grit. I love just throwing stuff on Beach Grit. Uh, like, I absolutely love Beach Grit, and I think Beach Grit may, sometimes, my greatest art may be the Joel... Parkinson mudsliding in Kira might be the greatest thing I've ever written. Uh, I, I'm addicted to books and can't stop writing books. And books is obviously a different thing where the editing, you know, like you write it. Every single book I've ever written, I thought things crushes it when I'm done with the first thing. So that doesn't even end editing. And then send it off to the editor and it'll come back and I'll reread it myself and then just realize the disaster that it is and so that's probably what beach grid is is just a straight disaster that i think in real time is the greatest thing ever uh that's kind of that's fun for what it is but also actually digging into the work 
and trying to become a better writer. That's what that's what I do in the books. Did you always um, treat it so flippantly? I feel like at the beginning you took it more seriously. Uh, the the Beach trip. surf riding? Beach trip. I mean, I take it as seriously as ever. That's the art of Beach Grit, though. Like, the art of Beach Grit is the five-minute snapshot of something funny that's happening in that five minutes is what makes Beach Grit good, right? Beach Grit is not the Surfer's Journal. It's not supposed to be something <laughs> that lives on a shelf. Like, I think you can go re-reference stuff and remember jokes last year, and they won't be as funny, but... There's, you know, like Doc Finn Bat. How funny is that? Anymore? It's not that funny, but it's kind of funny. And the fact that it lives there, Joel... It has a warm place in my heart. And and if it just had happened and nothing was ever written about it, it wouldn't have a warm place in my heart. <laughs> but, like, kind of reasserting the joke and writing multiple articles and doing a billboard, all of that cements it into zeit the zeitgeist, into surf culture. It's you know? something funny for a minute, and I think that surf is only ever good in the second right i mean that's what we i think surfers know it only feels good when you're doing it the second you're off that wave it starts fading and fading and fading and fading beach grit is that funny thing for the one second that's all it's funny for don't look at it again after yeah. that one second yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it serves its purpose for sure we have another the young man again oh yeah, this is well, this is bad. This is bad cross branding, but it's all yeah. The podcast is the grit, and then Beach Grit is is the website. <laughs> so the website's beachgrit.com. The podcast is everything kind of uh, behind the scenes, in between the lines of beachgrit.com. So it's just called the grit. Uh, questions? Yes, in the flannel. So what's your writing process? Um, like, is it beach grit in the morning and writing books by night when the kid goes to bed? Like, what are the two processes? Like, are you doing notes on your phone? Like, you got a little cocktail? Like, what are the two different processes? So it's the, now it's sort of cemented of wake up in the morning where it's changed for every book a bit, but now it is, which I think moving forward, wake up, make coffee, beach grit story, make it breakfast, beach grit story. Uh, <laughs> Then take kid to ballet, go to Applebee's, order vodka, write book. <laughs> what time of day is that? Like four thirty. Yeah. How's how's the Applebee's cocktails? So great. Really? Applebee's and Kearney Mesa, crushes. Really? Got great goose. No. Yeah. A little bit I know. Yep. Was there another question? So I see a lot of uh, like Joan Didion as an influence. Um, so I kind of got two questions here. Like first, just your Joan Didion recommendation. What oh, would that be? Uh, I mean, Joan Didion's essays to me are the ones like I love that. Uh, what's the year of what's her magical year of magical thinking is an absolutely brilliant book. Uh, but I love Joan Didion's snapshots like her essays are. So any essay collection, I mean, the way she uh, I think put herself in a room and uh, like somehow uh, filtered the truth of that room is is so rare. Like, and you know, as one of the new journal, I mean, it's I don't know if it's even people care about it anymore at all. But that that era of new journalists, right, from Didion to of course Tom Wolfe to Hunter Thompson, this kind of thing where they were writing sort of journalism as narrative, uh, which I think was probably new then, I don't know why it was new, but 
I just love that. I love I love truth and journalism, or some kind of journalistic thing as a narrative arc. And my second question is like going back to Welcome to Paradise. Um, have you spoken to Eddie Rothman? Recently? I have. Can yeah. You, can you give us just a, an impression? Oh, <laughs> fucking an impersonation. <laughs> fucking this. This fucking guy the other day, he come up to me and said, Eddie, you fucking do this. I'm like, fucking fuck. <laughs> Solid. You fucking do. fuck. Yeah. And I think with that, we're going to close. We have a, a little tradition here. Everybody with a book, if you want to hold it up.